0: Beloved, please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Uh, As you're turning there, by way of introduction, uh, in the summer months, we try to uh, do some various things uh, through the preaching, and uh, I have been wanting to preach on this subject matter for uh, some time. Uh, We have considered some of it in Sunday school over the last several months. Uh, We've considered it as we've made reference to the new Reformation catechism on human sexuality, Uh, but uh, wanting to deal with this, the doctrine of man, of Christian anthropology and and the Imago Dei and why it's so important to understand these things as we think about why the world is the way it is today and why the world is looking at mankind, at, at, at humanity the way that it does, and I hope that it will be encouraging to you. Please stand with me as I read from Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Please hear the word of God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, as we look back at the book of Genesis and the beginning uh, of creation and the creation of uh, mankind, we ask, O God, that you would help us. Give us wisdom, give us grace to understand these things. And Lord, we pray that if there is confusion or fogginess or mist in our minds about what is man, We pray, O God, that you would help us, teach us, instruct us, and lead us to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Confusion. Confusion. It's a relevant word for our times, isn't it? The word has been defined as, quote, a lack of understanding a breakdown of order, and mistaking one thing or person for another. Confusion. It's what perhaps describes best the current state of our culture. We live in profoundly confusing times, don't we? How many times have you said, what is happening? Or have heard people say, what is going on? confusing times, especially as it relates to our subject for this morning, the doctrine of mankind. Proof of this widespread moral and intellectual confusion in the West, of course, is the legalization of gay marriage and the widespread acceptance of the transgender movement. Now, if you are normal, even saying the words gay marriage and transgender movement make you kind of wince a little bit, if not outside, inside, because it has become such a lightning rod of a subject that people want to either shut it down immediately or they simply don't want to talk about it. This is the case that I'm making. These two actions, gay marriage, the legalization of gay marriage, and widespread acceptance of the transgender movement, perhaps more than anything show That Western civilization is no longer shaped by or founded upon Christian morals, but rather is primarily influenced by secularism and expressive individualism. Western civilization is now post Christian. In other words, no longer is Christianity the dominant worldview in the West. It's secularism and self rooted in a kind of radical individualism. People believe that they have their own truth and everybody appears to be comfortable that everybody has their own version of that truth, so long as it doesn't mess with their paycheck or mess with their comfort, because as soon as someone else's truth impinges upon your comfort, then you don't like their truth so much and you start to doubt their truth. But until that point, everyone is allowed to have their own version of truth and people seem to be comfortable with this. When I made trips to India in the 1990s, it was odd to me that those who were in the Hindu religion were embracing this idea that everybody could have their own version of truth and they were okay with that. But now, this same thing is happening and has happened in the West. So we say things like, I'm glad for your truth. And I'm happy for my truth. What really matters is not what people say the truth is, but what you think the truth is. Even if what you think defies reality. Some of these ideas that I'm sharing this morning were crystallized for me this week after listening to two fantastic lectures given by Dr. Bob Godfrey in a Sunday School series in his church. I'm going to pass those along to our congregation when I'm done listening to them. Dear ones, for the past 1,800 years, think about this now, for the past 1,800 years since Constantine and the Christianizing of Rome, and then, of course, all of the West. For the past 1,800 years, Western civilization, of course, including America, has existed more or less on a Christian moral foundation. Fundamental questions like, what is a marriage? What is a family? What is a man? What is a woman? We're straightforward Plain and uncontroversial to almost anyone who was asked. Which proved the fact that we were still dominated by a Christian worldview. Even if in some places, in some parts of the country, for instance, it was less and more other places. Now we are in a place where this has disintegrated in extraordinary ways. These questions, what is a marriage, what is a family, what is a woman, what is a man, were uncontroversial and straightforward to anyone who was asked. But now, college professors, Supreme Court justices, medical doctors, heads of state, and your average person on the street are reticent to answer the questions because they are afraid of the cultural backlash they might get or are totally confused on how to answer. What was once repudiated by the general population is now celebrated in the streets and halls of power. What was once celebrated in the streets and halls of power is now repudiated. Men and women in gay marriages hold high office in the president's cabinet and staff, as well as at least two men who wear dresses and high heels to work every day. What is more surprising than the sheer fact that these things are happening in our culture is how comfortable people have become with it, not least those who profess faith in Christ. This confusion, of course, begins generally with a rejection of God as sovereign creator. This, of course, leads to a bold rejection of God's design and purpose for humanity. It begins with a rejection of God as creator. And, of course, this leads to a bold rejection of God's design and purpose for humanity. Dear ones, please hear this. In our post-Christian age, in the post-Christian West, we can no longer take it for granted that our neighbors and institutions will hold a general Christian moral framework. Those days are gone. Christendom has held the dominant position in the West for 1,800 years, but no longer is that the case. We have returned to pre-Constantine-like society. It's similar to Sodom and Gomorrah, the kinds of things that are happening, that are going on, that are being reported, that are being set forth. We are now in a time like the early Christians experienced in the book of Acts. Look at Europe. South America and what's happened in Canada and in our own country. This is not to meant to be a discouragement, by the way. You may be thinking, thanks a lot, Pastor John. I came here to be encouraged this morning. This is not meant to be an encouragement, a discouragement. Because Christ is building his church no matter what the majority culture embraces. Christ is saving his people and building his church no matter who is president. prime Prime minister king or emperor whether in times of peace or in times of persecution throughout history christ is building his church and the gates of hell cannot stand against him amen it doesn't matter who's in charge christ is building his church whether it's republicans democrats or independents christ is building his church Whether it's this king or that king, Christ is building His church. Whether a time of peace, which we must admit is nice, it's nice to be in a time of peace, or in a time of persecution, Christ is building His church. And Satan cannot stop Him. And it's often, so often, in counterintuitive, countercultural ways that Christ is building His church. I say these things to make the point that if ever the church needed to be reminded of God's design and purpose for humanity, it is now. That's why we're spending time this morning and this evening highlighting the doctrine of man in creation this morning and the doctrine of man in salvation, which we'll focus on this evening, especially as this relates to mankind created in the image and likeness of God so when you see these interviews online where someone walks up with a microphone and says, can you please tell me, sir, what a woman is? And they have a hard time answering. Or these interviews where they say, can you please tell me what a man is? And they have a hard time answering. The reason is, is we have gotten away from God and his truth and his word. And we need to return to it by God's grace. Except for the grace of God, beloved you and I would not know how to answer those questions either. Except for the grace of God, we'd be running headlong into all manner of sin and rebellion against God. It's only by His grace that we can consider these things this morning by grace through faith. We are not highlighting one particular sin over another because we feel ourselves to be so righteous. Oh no, we gather here as sinners with all manner of sin. We've committed in our lives. We come as those looking for God's grace and forgiveness and righteousness and seeking to know the truth and to be firm in the truth so that we can then share this truth with our family and friends and neighbors and lead them out of the confusion that the world is in. The first point this morning is this, if you're taking notes. God created man and woman Not the other way around. God created man and woman, not the other way around. An elementary point, you might say? Well, not in our confused times. Not in our confused times. It's it's good to say those kinds of things out loud in your living room with your children. God created man and woman, not the other way around. It must be highlighted and underscored that the one true and living God, by the word of his power, created the world ex nihilo, that is, out of nothing, in six days. He created the world. The world did not create him. Amen? The world did not create him. The first verse of the Bible is an important one In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Some of the most eminent and well-respected scientists of our day declare that the world created itself, that out of nothing and from nothing came something. How is there something, sir? Well, it came out of nothing. How can that happen, sir? I don't know. It just did. Something came from nothing? You don't believe in God? No, I don't believe in God. Where did all this come from? Nothing. This is what is claimed by some of our world's most esteemed scientists. They believe that what we see today is from a chance explosion from some odd number billions of years ago, but this is as ridiculous as it is blasphemous. Dear ones, God created the world And on the sixth day, he made mankind the glory and crown of his creation. Boys and girls who are here today, God created the world, and on the sixth day, he made mankind the glory and crown of his creation. God created man, man didn't create God. Therefore, it is not man who decides what man is or for what purpose man exists. God is our maker. And so it is God, not man, who decides the nature and purpose of marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman and never legitimately between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. That's unnatural and in defiance of God's created order. It's in defiance of God's created order. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18, if you look there with me. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man for the man, excuse me, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called, every living creature, that was its name. The man gives names to all livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, one of his ribs had closed in its place with the flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24 says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. They are anatomically suited, in case you haven't noticed. Men and women are anatomically suited to one another. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Dear ones, God is our sovereign creator, and so it is God, not man, who determines our biological sex and gender. He makes us male or female. And our gender always corresponds to our biological sex. Some may be confused about this, and we have compassion for them. Some may have dysphoria on this point. We have compassion for them. We pray for them. That those, the blindness would be removed. They would see things as they are. I remember hearing the testimony of someone who had who was told by psychologists when they were a mixed-up teenager that they were the wrong sex, that they should go for it. This person had multiple surgeries and then later, fast forward, was born again by the grace of God and realized that everything that had happened was just a total lie. And so they were sharing that. I was in tears listening to this testimony. And now they're fighting against all of this stuff that's going on It's hurting our children. It's child abuse. See, some may have dysphoria, but it doesn't change the reality of who God made them to be. God is our maker, and so He alone determines the moral law by which we live and by which we flourish as human beings. It's not unloving to encourage friends and neighbors who struggle with same-sex attraction or perhaps have totally embraced an unnatural lifestyle sexually to say, God has something better for you than that. He loves you and he calls you to repentance and faith in Christ. And we all have sin. But he has something better for you. He created you for this purpose and with this design and for his glory. Don't give in to the lies of Satan. The confusion that many experience on these matters does not determine reality or morality. That again, the confusion that many experience on these matters uh, does not determine reality or morality. Only our blessed triune God determines reality and morality, our maker and our sovereign king. Again, we read in Genesis 1:1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19.1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Creation is the handiwork of God. Creation is the theater of God's glory. So that's the first point. It's a simple one. God created man and woman, not the other way around. So many are mixed up in this world today. So much confusion that does not even correspond with common sense and reality. But we see here in God's Word. The truth about these matters. Secondly, secondly, God created man and woman with a body and a soul. What constitutes a human being? Well, a body and a soul. What is man? A man is constituted of a body and an immortal soul. The same is true uh, for a woman, of course, constituted of a body and a soul. When we are conceived in our mother's womb, we immediately possess a body and a soul. The body and or soul don't come later. This is what makes abortion so wrong and sinful. At any stage in a mother's pregnancy, even at the earliest stage, there is a little boy or a little girl with a body and a soul growing in the womb. From the very moment of conception, there is a body and there is a soul. I love that that, uh, that meme that goes around online and it has... Uh, a little uh, cell, and it says, me, and then it has a little fetus, it says, me, and then it has a child about to be born, it says, me, has a child just born, me, child as a four-year-old, me, child as uh, a junior higher, me, still me, still me, a child walking da- down the aisle, still me. At every point from the moment of conception through birth and along the way, this is a body and a soul made by God. This is one of the most important arguments against legalized abortion. Again, again, a sin that has been committed by many, but where there is grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It should never be a mother or father's choice to end the life of their unborn child. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, "'For you formed my inward parts,' You, O God, knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How wonderful are your works, O Lord! My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. God created us with a body and an immortal soul. Genesis 2.7. Look at Genesis 2.7 with me. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, or I think a better rendering here is a living soul, a living soul. This is important because some want to say that mankind are just a higher level of animal. having evolved from fish and then apes from over millions of years. But, of course, that's not true at all. Unlike the animals, God created us with living and immortal souls. And we know that our souls are immortal because Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He also said in Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his what? His soul, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Well, first of all, it's important to state that the Scripture employs the terms soul and spirit interchangeably. When it's speaking about the spirit of man, it's really speaking about the soul. The Bible does not teach that man is constituted of body, soul, and spirit. No, but the Christian believer has a body, a soul, and the Holy Spirit. So we see that distinction in Scripture, of course. But what does a human consist of? What does... What constitutes a human soul? Wilhelmus Albraco gives us a helpful answer in his Christian's Reasonable Service. Quote, The soul is a spiritual, invisible, intangible, and immortal personal entity. Don't try to write this down, by the way. It's going to be long. The soul is a spiritual, invisible, intangible, and immortal personal entity adorned with intellect and will. It's personal because it's not like some part of some blob soul of the universe that's in all of us. It's personal. You have a soul. It's your soul. And it's in union with the body and it constitutes a human being by virtue of its inherent propensity is inclined to be and remain united with the body. This is important because some have argued and still do argue that the goal of religion is for the soul to be set free from the body. That the body corrupts the soul. It's what many Eastern religions are focused on. This is a form of Gnosticism. God made Adam and Eve's bodies and called them very what? Good. And He created our bodies with souls. They are meant to be together and not apart. This is why at the resurrection, when Jesus returns, all the departed souls, those who are in heaven and those who are in hell, will be reunited with their bodies and stand before God at the judgment and spend eternity in heaven or in hell, both body and soul. There are many ways that scholars and theologians from the past and present describe what constitutes the the human soul, but most will say that the human soul is constituted of intellect or rationality, intellect or rationality, and the will. Intellect and the will, and along with the will comes the affections. Remember, we are commanded to love God with all of our soul. What is especially significant about the human soul, however, is what God stamped upon it. What did God stamp upon the human soul? His image. That's the third point. God created man and woman in His image and in His likeness. Some people like to say dogs are people too, right? Dogs are people too. Uh, I believe that people think that dogs are people Uh, because there have been times when I'm sitting on the beach and one will run up and grab my sandwich and run away and no apologies. My dog was hungry. He's a people too. And so we shouldn't be too upset about that. Dogs are not people too because dogs do not have souls and upon those souls stamped the likeness and image uh, of God. This year... I've had the privilege of, profound privilege of visiting lots of newborn babies with every one of these precious covenant children, including Sonny Kendall, whom I visited yesterday. They have the likeness of one or both of their parents. It's extraordinary. You walk in, you see the baby, and immediately, you see, oh, that looks like mom, or that looks like dad, or there's a combination. There's that likeness, that resemblance. Some people will say something like this. You know, you are the spitting image of your father or your mother. The image. Well, God made us in his image. We are made in his likeness. This is why every human being has dignity and worth. Indeed, we don't need identity politics to teach us about the dignity of mankind. We have God's word. And in God's word, every human soul is stamped with the image of God and we are made in his likeness. Again, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them he made us in his Im- he made us he made us in his image and he made us male and what female this is why this catechism that we handed out a few weeks ago is so vital for the church today because it walks through these basic fundamental truths of God as creator, of we as his creation, of the image of God stamped upon us, of the difference between male and female. Our age is a confused one, particularly surrounding human sexuality, and we need to be brought back to the truth of God's word. 1 Corinthians 11, 7 states that man is the image and glory of God. Now that we have established that God is made in, that we are made in God's image, perhaps you're wondering what that means. Well, it means that impressed upon mankind's living soul are three things. Number one, knowledge, wisdom, knowledge and wisdom in the intellect. That's number one. Knowledge and wisdom in the intellect. That is a knowledge of God. That sensus divinitatis that Calvin talks about, that 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 knowledge, it's why. It's why people, it's why atheists start praying in the foxhole when bullets are going over their head. Wow, I thought you didn't believe in God. I do now. It's why people tend to cry out to God in challenging times, even if they're not walking with Him, because we have that sense that we are created with, that sense of the divine. So we have that knowledge impressed upon our souls. In Adam and Eve, of course, this was a perfect knowledge and a perfect wisdom that led them to know, worship, and serve God perfectly in the garden. Secondly, stamped upon our soul is a holy and righteous will. In Adam and Eve, of course, before the fall, this perfect will led them to love and obey God in perfect conformity to God's will. And thirdly, there are perfectly ordered affections. Perfectly ordered affections. Our big problem as sinners is that our affections are all disordered. Our loves are disordered. But... Stamped with the image of God in the garden before the fall, Adam and Eve had a perfectly ordered affections. As one theologian comments, quote, All desires were Godward in order to continually enjoy Him and toward the performance of His will. Of course, with this image or resemblance of God impressed upon the soul of man, man would serve God with his entire body. Every part of man's body in the pre-fall garden was given as instruments of righteousness. Both body and soul were designed to give glory to God and to flourish in God's purpose. Finally, the consequences of being made in the image of God was to exercise dominion, dominion over God's creation, that is, to work it and to keep it. So in the very fabric of the created order, we see that man was created by God to marry to worship, and to work. And when you compromise or corrupt any or all of these pillars of the created order, marriage and family, worship and Sabbath, and work, you invite the destruction of a society. Think about it, dear ones. What God has, has designed for His creation, for creational order, is being totally disordered and undone in Western civilization today. Sexuality and marriage is being perverted into something unnatural. Worship and Sabbath-keeping are declining greatly, and work has become totally misunderstood in our society in so many ways. So, man was made in the image and likeness of God. I'm going to list for you later, for the sake of time, Six points that Peter, excuse me, Petrus von Maastricht in his 17th century theoretical practical theology listed that provides six reasons why God made us in his image. And I'm going to list those for you later online, but the, 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 the main point of those, those points is that God made us so that we would reflect his image back to him and so that he would delight in us, because there is no greater or higher good than the Lord. And he wants to look and to love his creation, namely the crown of his creation, those whom he stamped his image on to say, there's my resemblance. And he delights in that, just as we delight in the resemblance of ourselves in our children. Not just like that, but there's a similar thing. Fourthly, God created man and woman with original righteousness. This is a very brief point because it's really a summary. God created man with a body and a soul. Among all God's creatures, mankind is the crown of God's creation because one, he has a soul endowed with rationality, will, and affections. Two, upon that soul is stamped God's image and likeness, namely knowledge, wisdom, righteousness, and holiness. Theological shorthand simply states that we were created with original righteousness. Righteousness. Louis Burkhoff says this, Mankind was by nature endowed with the original righteousness, which is the crowning glory of the image of God, and consequently lived in a state of positive holiness. This was the state of humanity prior to the fall. Look up later, Westminster Larger Catechism, question 20. This is what I want us to remember this morning. That things weren't always the way they are today with all the confusion about who God is and, and who man is and what man is and what a woman is and what is marriage and, and is a human, should a human life have dignity even when unborn? Things weren't always the way that they are today. And that really reflects on our fifth point. God created man and woman to commune with Him, but man chose sin instead. God created man and woman to commune with him with his image stamped on them, with them resembling them and and their holiness and righteousness and knowledge and, 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 and pure affections of worship and glory. But man chose sin instead. Rather than walk with God, man chose to sin. Man chose to listen to the lies of Satan and eat of the forbidden fruit. And when Adam fell, he hid from God. And the original righteousness, which was stamped upon him, lost. It was marred. Sin entered the world. It's why the world is as it is today. The only surprise should be to us, dear ones, is that things are not worse than they are. Now, as Adam's descendants, we are not born with original righteousness, but we are born with original sin. As Adam's descendants, we inherit original sin. We no longer have that righteousness which we need to fellowship with God. We are separated from God who is holy. Mankind is separated from communion and fellowship with holy God we are lost in our sin. Sin has darkened, clouded, clouded rather, and confused our intellects. It has corrupted our affections. It has warped our wills. Due to sin, we are spiritually dead. We are objects of God's wrath, and deservedly so. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Think about this. In the garden... Adam and Eve rejoiced in this righteousness, rejoiced in God, always lived in His presence with that kind of passion for His glory. But now, mankind hates this righteousness, rejects this righteousness, and pushes down this righteousness and believes lies. The image of God within us was shattered and defaced at the fall. Shattered and defaced at the fall. But finally, we have such good news. God sent his son, the second Adam, the righteous one, the perfect image of God to save sinners. To save sinners like you and me from the power and condemnation of our sins. From the dominion of sin. God sent his son into the world to become the perfect man, the God-man, and to fulfill all righteousness for us. He was supernaturally conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and thus born not of ordinary generation, not with, therefore, original sin like us, but with original righteousness. In Romans 5, he's described as a second Adam. The first Adam failed to keep God's law and was cast out of paradise and away from fellowship with God, and we've been there since. The second Adam, Jesus, succeeded in keeping God's law his whole life and by grace through faith brings us back into paradise and to fellowship with God. He does this not with a wave of the wand, but with the shedding of his precious, righteous, innocent blood on the cross for our sins, for our debts, for our unrighteousness. 2 like Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Please hear this, dear ones. Christ, the righteous one, fully God and fully man with a human soul, and thus the perfect image of God, fulfilled all the requirements of God's law for you and for me, and then paid the debt of our sins with his sacrifice on the cross, satisfying God's justice in full. This means that those who are united to Christ by faith have a lot to rejoice in this morning. This means that those who are united to Christ by faith, who believe in him, are fully not partially, not mostly, but fully pardoned of all of your sins. And you are robed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. That righteousness that was lost and that righteousness that has been given to us as a gift. Our sin on Christ, Christ's righteousness to us. Those who are in Christ are no longer condemned, but justified. Those who are, who, who, those are, who are in Christ are no longer outcasts, but brought near. The throne of grace, dear ones. Adam lost original righteousness, and we lost in him. We are lost in him, but Christ fulfilled all righteousness for us, and we are found in him. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was condemned, but now I'm forgiven. I once was an outcast, but now I'm a son. What good news have we heard today in this gospel of Jesus Christ? This is a gospel for all sinners, every kind of sinner, no matter what you've done, no matter what background you are from, no matter what things that, that have happened in your life or happened to you or that you have, have done against the Lord or against your neighbor. This forgiveness is offered full and free in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Repent of your sin. Turn from those things you know displease God. Turn from those idols you've been putting your trust in. Throw them down and receive Christ and his forgiveness and his righteousness for you. It's for all sinners who would by grace believe upon him. I urge you to believe upon him now. Christ fulfilled all righteousness for us, and we are found in him. And we stand before him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that is ours by grace through faith in Jesus. Philippians chapter 3. Dear ones, the world is very confused right now about the nature and purpose of mankind. But as we turn back to the pages of Genesis and to other portions of God's word, We see God, the Creator's design and purpose for mankind and the salvation that is accomplished in His precious Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear ones, this evening, we're going to see how, as those who are justified before God, we're going to see how sanctification is that process whereby God repairs within us the image of God, that we are made more and more like Christ, the perfect image of God. And we are under this renovation project where the Lord repairs the image of God within us so that more and more we demonstrate that knowledge, wisdom, righteousness, and holiness in our lives. We're not saved by that, but he's working that in our lives as his people. Dear ones, we were once his enemies. Now we are saved and invited to sit at his table. Glory, hallelujah. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. and We ask, O Lord, that you would feed us now upon the bread and the wine as we trust and abide in Christ alone, the perfect man, the perfect Savior, the perfect image of God for our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name.